Hello and welcome to Even Keel. Here we have conversations on anything maritime. We hope to engage you with stories that bring out different perspectives. If you have a story to tell, reach out and we could tell it to the world together. Today I have with me an old friend. Arvind and I go back to 2002 when did when we did our uh, mates in uh, the LDS college. And then in 2008, uh, he called me and asked me if I could uh, teach uh, second mates uh, in a college and in, in an institute in Mumbai. And I did that for a while. And then life happened. And then we got uh, back in touch again. Uh, and then Arvind was near the Greenwich Meridian and I stayed very black. I mean, I stayed back close to the <laughs> 72 degree uh, meridian, more or less. Uh What has uh, been your journey like, Arvind? You know, what got you to the uh, UK? Oh, and yeah, uh, welcome to Even Keel, Arvind. Hi, Vijit. Hi, thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, getting me on Even Keel. Uh, so since uh, 2008, uh, since, since we last uh, talked, I sailed on uh, on chemical tankers as a captain. And throughout the time, I was always passionate about uh, teaching my junior officers and cadets. So in uh, 2015, I got the opportunity to work uh, in a maritime college in, in the UK, East Coast College. And uh, I got the opportunity to teach here. And uh, since then, I've been uh, teaching uh, aspiring OWs, chief mates and masters. Uh, the one thing which I feel is, is not being adequately uh, taught to uh, young uh, officers is something about commercial aspects and i've, I've always uh, been uh, passionate about uh, commercial uh, topics and maritime law and i've had quite some experience uh, when i was sailing as uh, as a captain as well so i, I always thought that uh, this is something which uh, i should be uh, teaching and uh, and that's what i ended up uh, teaching maritime law and uh, legislation and commercial topics to uh, masters <clears throat> Very interesting because I, I, I remember way back even in 2002, you, you used to take up these teaching assignments and so you keep uh, that passion going uh, and you still continue to do that. I think that's uh, quite admirable, uh, Arvind. Uh, you s just mentioned your interest in commercial shipping uh, and uh, yeah, if I remember way back then, uh, you know, you are uh, quite a good storyteller. Uh, what do you want to talk of today? Um, so the, the 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 topic that I thought I'll I'll talk about today was uh, something regarding bill of lading, and the reason why I, I'm talking about this specifically now is recently there have been a few uh, admiralty cases of uh, arbitration due to cargo disputes. So I just thought that I'll I'll just bring it out uh, as as a dialogue between us, and hopefully uh, people listening to us might uh, have some opinion about it. So specifically, I just want to talk about uh, the history behind uh, this document, the Bill of Lading, and uh, how what what is its legal uh, use and how it, how it has been used in the maritime industry, and uh, what is the contrast between the legal aspect and and the industry practice. So um, I'll I'll start from 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 uh, a real basic for the benefit of some of our uh, listeners who might maybe not from the be history, aware. like you said. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, I'll I'll just go into a bit of background. So since the Roman times, whenever goods have been loaded onto merchant ships, the 
practice was that the contents of the cargo would be recorded on a document and this document would be given by the shipper that is the person who's putting the cargo on the ship uh, this document would be given by the shipper to the receiver of the cargo the person who's receiving the cargo now of course in those days uh, uh, a seafaring uh, endeavor was 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 very dangerous because of piracy and so many other things so what would happen is when the ship which had the goods on board would finally reach the destination port where a receiver who would have the document which details what are the uh, what is the cargo on the ship he would produce this document to the ship and then the ship would then discharge the goods into the custody of the receiver so okay so i mean there is there is a shipper there is a receiver the shipper has a document and uh, this document i mean when the when the ship reaches the destination the receiver submits this document to the ship and gets his cargo back yes that is right and and that 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 was the prudent way to do it because overland to transport goods uh, from the shipper to the receiver overland used to have a lot of risks and there were robbers and there were highwaymen so what would be done is they would ship it uh, they would transport the goods on a ship and overland would just be this document which details what is the cargo now to a robber or to a highwayman this this document in itself has no value and and pro- probably he would not understand the significance of that so it was a relatively uh-huh. safer way of transporting goods uh, in bulk in 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 those times and and this has been going on since the roman times uh the this document which i'm talking about is actually the origins of the bill of lading and uh, the the familiar columns now that we see on a bill of lading like information about shipper and receiver location condition of goods these actually came the, these columns actually became into existence during the crusades times and this was around the 12th century so that was when the bl started uh, coming into the format that we now recognize as okay no so okay uh, i mean let me just understand this so sh- goods are going going by the ship and the bl is going by land and going overland is relatively safer because this is a piece of paper which no robber or highwayman uh, would be interested in that 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 is correct so uh, the exact uh, uh, way how how this would this would actually work is that uh, let's say that somebody has got some goods or some cargo which uh, is desirable to another person and, and probably these two people are quite far away and, and may, maybe in different continents also so what they would do mm. is they would negotiate with each other on the value of this cargo and uh, because they are on different locations the receiver would put the money which is equal to the value of the cargo in a bank which is decided by both the shipper and the receiver so some bank which they mutually uh, trust the receiver would put the money in that bank now what the shipper would do mm. is he would contact a carrier and by carrier i mean a vessel a ship he would contact a carrier mm-hmm. put the goods on that carrier and the carrier that is the vessel would issue the bill of lading which would detail the which, which would give details of the, of that cargo and then that bill of lading would be in in three copies three originals and uh, why, why 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 three originals 
Right, Y3 original. So uh, now this is another tradition okay. that has been uh, there since the times of uh, Knights uh, Templar. Who is a Knights Templar? Sorry. Right. So uh, during the Crusades, and this is this is uh, around the 12th century, the Knights Templar were uh, were uh, were actually a Christian military group of of knights who 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 had presence all over Europe, and uh, they they were a military order. And they didn't have any okay. uh, a, any allegiance to any country or any king or any any uh, any, any mercenaries. group. So yeah, basically they were they were mercenaries, but they were present all over Europe. So what they would do is okay. that if somebody had to uh, transport goods from one place to another, he would simply go to a Knights Templar office close to his house and place the uh, goods in his uh, custody. And receive a bill of lading. Okay. And this bill of lading, so the Knights Templar over. will issue a bill of lading. Yes, they would issue a bill of lading, and uh, okay, this bill of lading would then travel overland, and the Knights Templar would take steps to transport this cargo to the receiver. And at the receiver's uh, destination, it would go. The receiver would go to the local Knights Templar's office with the bill of lading. And the fact that he had a bill of lading ah, okay. with him is proof enough for the for the Knights Templar to discharge the goods into the custody of the receiver. So basically, these these Knights Templars they they started a system which eventually led to modern banking. So, no, I was just asking, wondering this Knights Templar. You said this was system in Europe. So uh, the system was prevalent, and uh, sort of uh, their credibility did it go also outside Europe, or was it just limited? The initial, uh, you know, uh, the system was limited to uh, trading in Europe. Well, uh, the known world in the 12th century was was uh, the whole of Europe and what they called at that time the Holy Land. So it it is what we now okay. call the Middle East area. So I would say from uh, right right from uh, from west uh, Western Europe until until the the Holy Land uh, area, so the their credibility extended over the whole area there. Okay. Uh, so you were talking about Y three BL. Sorry, when I interrupted yes, you. Th- that's right. So uh, the reason why why there are three original BLs is because when the goods are placed on board a ship, the carrier issues the three BLs. The purpose of the three BLs is that the shipper takes the first BL to the bank which is a proof that he has put the goods on board the vessel, on board the ship. This is the bank which both of them have agreed upon. That's correct. This is the bank which the shipper and receiver have earlier agreed upon and uh, the bank where the receiver has put the money equivalent to the value of the cargo. So the shipper would go to that bank with one original BL and show it as a proof that he has taken the steps to start to transport the cargo to the receiver the bank would inspect that bl and if they were satisfied with the with the condition of the cargo and 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 with the with the quantity of the cargo if they were satisfied with that they would keep that original bl in the bank and release the money which the receiver had put in the escrow account he would they would release that money and give it to the shipper so the shipper would get his payment in that case okay and now what the shipper would do is the two remaining bls the two remaining originals he would he would post it by an overland route to the receiver 
and ideally what he would do is he would post it by two different means so the two original bills would go by two different means to the receiver this is because probably uh, the postage system in those days wasn't very reliable so they would just uh, this was just a way to make sure that at least one of the original bills would receive would go to the receiver so the shipper would post the two original bills and they would travel overland to the receiver and then the receiver would would receive well hopefully at least one of the two original bills the receiver would receive it okay so right. now and you have the shipper and the receiver they agree on a bank that's right the shipper ships his goods that's right he makes three bills he gives one bill to the bank the bank examines the condition of the goods as described in the bill and once he is satisfied that it is an accurate description he releases the money that's right and yeah. and the shipper sends the other two bills one is with the bank but the other two bills he sends it overland to the receiver by some other means that's right yeah okay and then what happens well so what what you what you have summed it perfectly what happens now is that the receiver will receive at least one of the two original bills and he would take this bill and wait for the ship which has got the cargo to come to the destination port once the cargo has come okay. to the destination port the receiver would go on board with one of the original bills and show it to the captain of that ship the captain of the ship would look at the bill and verify that it is indeed the the original bill which was earlier discharged by him in the in the loading port so once he satisfied with that what he would do is he would take this original bill endorse it saying that the voyage has been performed keep it with himself and then discharge the cargo to the receiver is that the only use of the bill well that has been the traditional use of the bl and that was how it was meant to work until i'm uh, um, um, until recently but now what has happened is because because of increasing trade and uh, all over the world the bl has now become a kind of a trading document so what has now happened is that the receiver who received the bl could probably in fact be actually a broker who doesn't really want that cargo but he's just trying to to sell the cargo off to another person probably somebody else who is a receiver so now the only proof okay that the broker has is the bl which he has received which states that he is now the owner of the cargo when it comes to the destination port because he has got the original bl so this bl will now become a trading document but with which he can actually sell the cargo onward to other probably other brokers or or probably uh, another receiver and and hopefully make a profit uh, with the commission in between so the only proof that the broker has about owning the cargo is the fact that he has got an original bl in his possession and that has how it has always uh, always uh, worked uh, recently the owner of the original bl is actually the owner of the cargo 
so the bl is actually uh, it serves as uh, something as what we call in 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 maritime law a document of title basically it gives uh, it gives the the holder of the original bl is the, is the owner of the of the cargo and uh, the uh, the other uh, things about the bl is that the contracts of carriage are all mentioned uh, on on the back of the bl so so all the different contracts and and who who is payable in case of different scenarios all this information is is mentioned on the back of the of, of the bl so uh, basically that is how it's uh, supposed to uh, supposed to work and uh, the broker who receives one original bl probably sells it off to, to to so many other people and and here is where it's very important to know that when a ship arrives with cargo in port, the captain of the ship has got no idea who is the receiver of the cargo. The only mm-hmm. way the captain can identify who is the receiver of the cargo is by the fact that someone comes on board with an original BL. So that is why that that is the importance about of, of the BL, the 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 to whoever has the original BL. Yeah, that is where it discharges its function as a document of title. Uh, you also mentioned, yeah, you you mentioned uh, you know BLs becoming a trading document. So which basically means whoever is in possession of the BL, notwithstanding what is written on the BL, who the receiver or the consignee or the shipper is, uh, if I hold the BL, I I am I, I I own the cargo. Yes, that is correct. In in earlier times, the, and I can trade it. That is correct. In in earlier times, what used to happen is the name of the receiver and his contact details used to be mentioned on the BL. But now in modern times, uh, the column for the receiver is is just left uh, blank or, or there might be a clause that's saying to be advised. And that indicates that any person who has got the original BL is actually the owner of the cargo and and if he wants he can he can uh, uh, the, the, that person can trade that cargo uh, to somebody else so the receiver of the cargo is it's it's quite rare now for the receiver to be actually named on the bl mm-hmm. okay so how has these the, the practice in the industry sort of uh, evolved over time right how so, has it changed so um uh, like I said earlier, the receiver used to be named on the BL, but now uh, it's left blank, which means that it can be traded. But the maritime practice, the, the legal practice, which is endorsed by so many uh, legal courts all over the world, is that the cargo has to be discharged only when an original BL is produced by, by a person at the discharge port. And that has always been the uh, been the uh, the, stand, the legal stand uh, upheld by many courts. But uh, I would say that since about the last thirty years, there has been a, a situation that has arisen so many times, and uh, the, it is the fact that the cargo has arrived at the destination port before the BL. Now, why has this happened? The reason why this has happened is because the BL has been traded so many times that uh, it, it is impossible to know uh, who is now the receiver and probably the receiver has not yet uh, been able to actually get the BL to the uh, to the destination port and bring it to on board the vessel. So this has happened so many times that uh, the cargo has arrived at the destination port, but the BL is, is not uh, in place. Now, what has now happened is that over the past about 30 years, I would say, 
uh, a new practice and a new document called a letter of indemnity has been given to the captain on board the vessel that is the carrier so he has been given a letter of indemnity now this letter of indemnity basically the 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 wordings uh, what, what it means is that it indemnifies the captain from any cargo claim and it allows him to discharge the cargo without the bl being provided so if i were the captain of a ship and i i arrive at a destination port and i have not yet got any bl i would receive a letter of indemnity which tells me that go ahead discharge the cargo we'll look about the receiving of the cargo later but we are now telling you go ahead and discharge the cargo and you will not be held liable for any other problems that might arise later but but, but what 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 has started this practice why why has this practice come about i, I would say that uh, in recent times because of modern communication and banking systems goods are being traded right until the time the vessel reaches port Mm-hmm. and uh, as a matter of fact I, i i have been in 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 some situations where i have arrived at the berth i am ready to discharge the cargo but the only thing is i i, I don't know who is the receiver of the cargo because nobody has come and, and produced a bl to me and and it and it has been uh, it is being traded so many times that uh, we we don't know what's what's the latest status so in such a case what has happened is i would generally what would happen is i would receive a a, a letter of indemnity from 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 my operators from the people from whom i take uh, instructions and uh, when i receive the letter of indemnity i would just discharge the cargo to a shore reception facility and that's the end of my association with the cargo the ownership of the cargo now who who is going to receive the cargo is not my problem and then that that's beyond my uh, obligation so i would say uh, I, i would say the the modern banking systems and communication systems have have made it in such a way that uh, goods are being traded right until the last minute okay so uh, okay even even i have had experiences of uh, you know uh, discharging a cargo uh, just uh, with an a letter of indemnity mm-hmm. uh, i'm not very sure because i've always heard that uh, you know there is always this uh, this legal background or repercussions uh, uh if you if you sort of accepted an loi and discharge cargo how how sort of you know what are the legal repercussions that could happen if i discharge for example a cargo uh without a bill of lading but uh you know with an loi well um i i would say that uh, all's well that ends well as as shakespeare would say so <laughs> uh if uh, if uh, if there is no uh, cargo claim and if uh, if if the shipper and the receiver trust each other in an ideal world then there shouldn't be a problem but the problem would arise if at a later stage there is any claim about the cargo so for example you have received a letter of indemnity and on the basis of that you have discharged the cargo to a shore reception facility months later months later the receiver of the cargo puts up a claim claiming that he has received less quantity of the cargo or uh, probably the quality of the cargo has changed which which, which might very well be the case uh, when when you're transporting goods uh, by sea and it is it is in a in a show reception facility for for so many months so uh, a claim arises later that there is some uh, change in the quality or there is some discrepancy in the quantity of the cargo so what would happen now is that this matter would go into arbitration in a court of law 
And in a court of law, probably the first question that would be asked is, was the cargo discharged when the BL was produced to the, to the ship? That is probably the first basic starting point from where we start off. And at this point, if the master were to say that uh, the cargo was not discharged by producing the BL, he just received a, a, a letter of indemnity saying that he can discharge the cargo and never mind who is the receiver. I would say it it uh, it stands very unfair fa- unfavorably for the for the carrier of the cargo to have done this, and <clears throat> basic maritime law does not recognize that. So the basic law states discharge the cargo when you receive the BL. The letter of indemnity. Okay. Uh, I mean, to, to to be to be very frank, the letter of indemnity has got no legal standing uh, at all in any maritime court, and uh, for this purpose. Many P and I clubs, and and there are there have been so many advisories that uh, that that have specifically stated that the basis of any maritime law concerning carriage of goods at sea is underpinned by the fact that the carrier must discharge the cargo only after the BL has been produced. So without that, the LOA has got no standing, and uh, I I would only say that. Uh, all all uh, shippers receivers and everybody who has got a cargo interest uh, must be aware about uh, ab- about this fact okay so you're basically telling everyone to be uh, aware of you know the legal repercussions that might uh, come with accepting an LOI uh, as a guarantee to discharge cargo for claims that might arise uh, later on. Just one thing I just wanted to confirm, uh, uh, you know, you said uh, arbitrations in court, but I thought arbitrations were out of court. I mean, is that I heard, uh, did I hear it wrong? Arbitrations are in court, out of court? Uh, yes, you, you are actually right. Uh, an arbitration would be out of court, but uh, w- okay. w- whether it's it's a settlement uh, out of court or whether it's, uh, it's actually a legal dispute that happens uh, within the uh, within a court um, i just want to say that it would be very unfavorable if if it comes Understood. to light that the cargo has been discharged uh, without uh, producing uh, an original bl okay uh, does it have a sort of time limit for cargo claims i'm not sure about that i mean how how how, how much time does the receiver have to claim uh, for uh, you know uh, less quantity or uh, poor quality well uh, regarding less quantity um, I, I would say that uh, this this would be within a few uh, days or, or probably uh, within a week uh, of the cargo being discharged uh, as regard to a claim of quality i can give a personal example where on a chemical tanker uh, I, I was uh, uh, involved in discharging a cargo which had uh, onward pharmaceutical uh, uh, uses and uh, there was a claim that came about the quality of the cargo that I discharged two years after I had discharged the cargo. Okay. So I had actually, okay. uh, I, I, I was actually employed in another company and another vessel, but then I was contacted by my, by the, uh, by, by my original employers regarding this cargo claim, which came up because of the quality, and that was that was nearly two years later. So I would say that uh, it's it's really a gray area as to when a cargo claim can can arise later. Okay, I mean there is no time bar that uh, we are aware of. Uh, at this point, I, I I'm not so sure about that, but uh, okay. Okay. I, I, I I would I I wouldn't comment on that. 
but at least two years for sure that uh, you had the personal experience where you had a claim after two years. So Def- yeah, definitely. it would be at least definitely. two years. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, now that we have spoken about the uh, replications that you could have uh, because uh, of discharging a cargo uh, on an LOI, uh, you know, as a master, uh, if I were a master, what should what should I do if uh, somebody presented me with an LOI? Because I think that's a common practice now these days. Yeah. It it is unfortunately it is, it is a common practice. So uh, my my simple answer would be don't trust an LOI, but then it's not so simple. Uh, what I would say is that. If you receive a letter of indemnity, uh, try to try to understand from where you are receiving it. So, if you receive an LOI from a shipper or a receiver, then potentially they could be fraudulent. There is there is really no way a master can identify the uh, verify the identity of the person who is issuing the LOI. So, I would say that. Uh, my suggestion would be that if you want to safeguard yourself, uh, transfer the responsibility to the commercial operator. So the commercial operator is the person who's who's providing instructions to the ship uh, about about the charter mm-hmm. party and about the voyage. So the commercial operator is the person who has got direct contact with shippers, receivers, and brokers, and he has got the time and the, and and the resource to verify uh, credentials. So I would say that if if I receive an unambiguous message from the commercial operator, which authorizes myself to discharge the cargo to the shore facility without the BL being produced, then I would take that as as a clear instruction, and that would safeguard myself. And I'm I'm just transferring my uh, uh, my responsibility to uh, to to the op- operator. So I'm putting the onus on the operator. And it absolves me of any claims that might uh, arise in the future. So it's very important to understand who is issuing the LOI. I would say that an LOI given to you by your operator, which unambiguously states that you are authorized to discharge the cargo without an original BL being produced, I would say that would be a clear instruction that you can go ahead. And then it's uh, it's up to the commercial operator to uh, handle any claims that might arise in the future. Okay, so basically, if I am given an LOI, uh, I should get back to the commercial operator, whoever has given me my voyage instructions for that uh, particular voyage. Uh, so I need to get back to him and I need to say that I have this particular LOI and is this, is this uh, you know, with your uh, uh, concurrence or are you aware of this? So if the commercial operator tells me that, yes, uh, they are aware of this LOI, they know what this LOI is, they know who those people are. And that they sort of absolve me of uh, any any consequences of discharging the cargo under the LOI, then it's sort of safe for me to go ahead and discharge that cargo. Uh, yes, and and at this point, I would stress that it is it is better that you you get everything in 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 writing, and there is a there's, there's a clear electronic trail about that. And so basically, unambiguously, if if the commercial operator okay. has put it uh, on a message that you can go ahead and discharge the cargo, then then that should be fine. Yeah, I think everyone these days would insist on that with the sort of history that people have. I think most masters would insist on, on a written email communication. Uh, but anyways, uh, coming back to this, uh, so, I mean, uh, anything more to this? I mean, anything more that we should be aware of? Uh, well, incredibly, there is there is something more uh, uh, to to it. And and now I'm going to talk about another practice that has, that, that has recently uh, gained uh, prevalence. 
and this is this is something really bizarre so uh, what would happen is that <clears throat> uh, again we go back to the shipper placing the cargo on board the vessel uh, on the ship and the carrier issuing three original bls now what i have always been saying is that the three original bls are given to the shipper the shipper gives one to mm-hmm. the bank and the remaining two go yeah. overland to the receiver a recent practice that has now uh, that, that that has now uh, arisen is where the carrier issues three original bls but gives only one original to the shipper and the shipper uses it to to get his payment uh, for the cargo the two original bls are actually physically carried on board the vessel as a kind of guarantee uh-huh. that the bl would uh, actually reach the destination port so the two original bls the remaining two original bls are actually carried on board at the destination port a very bizarre scenario will uh, unfold where a receiver would come on board and what the master would do is he would go through the motion of giving the two original bls to the receiver and then the receiver would go again and uh, and and uh, return one original bl back to the master as though the receiver had received this mm-hmm. through other means and then the master would take this one original bl endorse it that the voyage has been performed and then discharge the cargo so uh, you you can see this is this is quite comical and i i have i have been witness to some very comical scenes uh, played out in my office so it uh, it it's really funny it's really farcical to go through the motion of giving the two original bills to the receiver then the receiver it gives you one back and then you endorse it and then you discharge the cargo it's quite farcical but then uh, this this has this has happened and i have witnessed this on on several uh, occasions so um i i i don't have to say this is again uh, this is again an illegal practice it it's it has no ma- legal standing but unfortunately it is now being widely uh, uh, practiced and i i really don't want to comment on on uh, on this uh, practice so as i say if as a master you have been asked to carry original bills on board the vessel i would say as a master please safeguard yourself and contact your commercial operator your p&i club and your your own company's uh, designated person who is who who is the person who will help you uh, if if you have any problems uh, commercial problems explain to them what is the situation and make sure you have you have a proper uh, trail of communication uh, for everything and i would say the p&i club does not endorse this kind of a, uh, of a practice so just beware of uh, something like that okay now when you speak of this practice of you know carrying the bills of lading on board uh, in in is there a particular trade that this is prevalent in like a oil or a uh well i i would say that uh, my my experience has always been in the in the oil and chemical bulk liquid trade so in the chemical trade uh, because of uh because of ships carrying chemical parcels uh, that, that is small amounts of mm-hmm. cargoes which go to different receivers so because the trade uh, constitutes carrying small parcels to different receivers this is something which is which is gaining quite some uh, uh, acceptance in the chemical trade so i i, I have seen this in the chemical trade but uh, i i am really not uh, sure about uh, what happens in bulk solid trade um, I, i'm not sure if this is prevalent 
but i would say that uh, something like this might uh, might uh, come up there too okay i mean if it is so prevalent and if it is so uh, uh, i mean it is a farce like you described it and it's so common uh, why is it still continuing uh, does, it, would, does it make things easier i i would say that uh, it makes things easier for certain uh, entities like for example uh, let's let's take an example of an oil major company which has got offices in in two different uh, locations uh, which has got uh, uh, go downs in two different locations so basically they just want to transfer the cargo from one uh, uh, area to another area as an example they want to transfer cargo from uh, singapore to a port in australia now the shipper and the receiver are 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 actually the same person uh, by, by same person i mean they're the okay. same same company yeah so, i understand yeah <clears throat> so i i i suppose in that case it might uh, it might make it easy but then there are other uh, methods which can be followed so there's contracts of affreightment and and uh, other charter party uh, methods of transferring cargo but then i suppose uh, this might be the case uh, for a, for a smaller for some smaller entities where the shipper and receiver implicitly trust each other <coughs> okay so Anyways, I mean, it's very uh, interesting conversation, Arvind, because for me uh, to hear of the history, well, I must say that I was not completely ignorant of uh, the bills of lading, but then uh, the the history of, you know, the Knights Templars and uh, the way that it was carried over land, the purpose of uh, the three, uh, three copies of bills of lading, it's very interesting to uh, sort of uh, know all that. And uh, I think uh, the practice of LOI uh, that you have sort of... Uh, uh, explained you know uh, and uh, the farcical practice uh, of carrying the bills of lading on the on the same vessel that's carrying the cargo so i i think thank you so much uh, arvind uh, for this conversation so for me it has been an interesting conversation i've learned uh, uh, new things and i'm i'm, I'm sure that uh, you know there will be people who are listening to it who would uh, possibly pick up uh, uh, new things from uh, whatever it is that uh, we've had this conversation over thank you so much uh, arvind is there any any closing comments that you want to make uh no uh, thanks uh, uh, abhijit i mean i really uh, i'm glad that i got this chance to speak about this it, it was interesting it's 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 a nice discussion isn't it so i i just hope yeah, that yeah uh, uh, i i just hope that listeners uh, who might be listening to this uh they might be uh, more interested and they can read up there are there is so much of uh, uh, literature available so many books uh, that are there there are so many uh, precedents and cases which they can go through and get a better understanding and hopefully uh, this, this will help them be in a better uh, situation when they are um, when when they are uh, masters on board vessels you still a passionate trainer thank you so much arvin thank you for coming on board Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Abhi.